Brian, say something smart. <laughs> I don't want to say anything smart until the podcast begins. That's true. You, you don't have that much to go around. Why are you attacking me? Okay, I love it. I'm looking forward to it. I'm highly skeptical that this format's going to work, but I'm in it. Perfect. Perfect. That's the optimistic view. Welcome to People vs. Algorithms, a show about patterns in media, technology, and culture. I'm Brian Marcy. I write the Rebooting Newsletter and have a podcast with the same name. I'm joined by longtime media executive and investor Troy Young and Alex Schleifer, former head of design at Airbnb and founder of Universal Entities. This week, as we enter the bleakest month, at least if you're stuck somewhere cold, we discuss optimism. Optimism is like freedom. Who can possibly be against it? And like freedom, optimism can be misused, at least in my view. Put another way, I I have a degree of skepticism of self-proclaimed optimist. And I know this is a hard case to make, but I try to make it in this episode because I do not believe that being an optimist is an identity. And sometimes, and not always, it should be remembered, optimism is used to hand wave around difficult questions and critical thinking. You know, those pointing to flaws or downsides are cast as cynics. And what's ironic in this is that the people using optimism as a cover are actually the ones who are being cynical. So we discuss all these issues from our different points of view. On some we agree, some we don't agree, but I hope you find it valuable. Before we do get to the conversation, one quick request. Please give this podcast a rating and a review. Hopefully both will be positive, but it's okay if it's not. And if you do like it, please share it with someone you believe would find it valuable. And also send in your feedback. My email is bmarcy at therebooting.com. Troy, I want to start off. Do you consider yourself an optimist? Definitely, yes. Of course you do. Go on. Tell me why. Give me the case for for being an optimist. I just always see a way that we can make something better, that something's going to turn out for the best, that, you know, people have, generally speaking, good intentions. I, I'm just, it's in my DNA. I'm an optimist. Okay. I, Alex- I it's not, I'm not, it, I'm not proclaiming it as a great virtue it's just it is i'm an optimist but is it like optimism is different from being an optimist in my view but we can get to that later uh alex am i an optimist or is troy an optimist is what's the question no i we don't let's not examine troy's optimism are you (laughs) are you an optimist and like what 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 actually makes an optimist i think i'm an i i I always considered myself an optimist my friends have said i am overly optimistic after making this podcast, I've been called negative and pessimistic. So I don't know. I think I, I sometimes use this podcast to vent. But no, I think I'm an optimist. I think I've been, you know, that optimism's been dinged during the pandemic a little bit. But, you know, it's coming back. But why do you think it was dinged? I think optimism in general, I mean, I have my own theories about it, uh, which I'll get into in a little bit. But I think actually the pandemic led to almost reverse in some ways. There was this bifurcation of catastrophism of people who saw nothing but negativity and everything. And I think that's overly reflected in the media and the media needs more optimism in general. Mm-hmm. But on the other hand, because it was an incredible time of financial gain to be, to be had by peddling optimism. And often it was done by cynical people in my view, but I think it was actually a golden time for, for self-proclaimed optimists during the pandemic. During the pandemic, because optimism is one of those things where how can you be against optimism and who wouldn't want to like say that they're an optimist, right? True. Like who goes True. around and says, 
you're on some job interview, it's like, what? How would you describe yourself? Uh, pessimistic, you know, mostly. <laughs> Unless you're hiring a reporter, then you're like, okay, true. this, true. I could work with this. But I think that because, like, if you think about a lot of the. So there's, are you saying there's different varieties of optimism? That's a better way to look at it. So yes. like, give me, give me an example. So in preparation, you know, I like to be uh, prepared. You do your homework, Troy. Everyone well, no, I, I was at an office yesterday and I asked one of the young uh, analysts. Wait, that was your preparation? You just like existed? No, I went to a millennial and I said, are you optimistic? And he said, very much so. And I okay. said, why? And he talked about technology and he talked about it just being kind of his orientation. I said, are your parents optimistic? And he said, no. And I said, well, how old are they? And he, he said, they, they had me late. They're like late 60s. They're neurotic New York Jewish civil rights lawyers. And they wear helmets and reflective vests to cross the street. And he said, You're making he said they, I'm not making it up. And he said, you know, they got to be somewhat optimistic because they're civil rights lawyers and they believe that their work can lead to a better future. And I said, that's interesting. So you're, but you, you see yourself as very much an optimist. He said, yeah, I think everything, I think it's going to be bumpy in the world, but there's so many amazing things happening with technology. And generally I'm a kind of, I believe people ultimately get to the right thing. He said, I'm an optimist. I said, do you think that Gen, Gen Z are, have a different point of view on the world, like the generation below you? And, and he said, you know, they're different. He said, it's kind of a, it's the end of the world and I feel fine vibe. Which is sort of like everything's all fucked up, but I'm just kind of going to navigate it and, you know, have a good time. And so he, I thought that was an interesting perspective. So I do believe that it's somewhat generational. I think that there's a big difference between millennials and Gen Z because millennials got the hood pulled over them in so many different ways. And this is why I don't believe the, op the opposite of being an optimist is a cynic. I believe it's being a realist and what optimists, self-proclaimed optimists who often are bullshitters who just use optimism as cover. They usually brand those who are realists as cynics because that's just how they get leverage over them. Right. Mm -hmm. And I think that was done in many cases to millennials. They had, you know, a lot of bullshitters convince them that like the work was like play and that like the office was a family and that like technology was going to unite the world and everything like this. Who did that? Who's responsible for that nonsense? Was that a generational thing? The bullshitters. Yeah, the older people who were bullshitting them. The, ge the Gen Xers. Gen X, mostly boomers. The boomers are the most cynical generation by far. Mm -hmm. And so through their own gains, right? Like they had to bullshit them through by playing into this, the optimism of youth, right? And my belief is that Gen Z has seen this and they're way savvier. And they're like, mm -hmm. you are not going to pull this same act on us with the free food, with the scooters in the office and stuff like this. And I think that is really good because I Alex think used to design all that merch for Airbnb. <laughs> good job. <laughs> I mean, look, the people, a lot of people got very rich too, but like nowadays, a lot of people who in Silicon Valley, I believe are finding out that a lot of that stuff was just words. It wasn't actions, right? You could work for Google for 25 years and your key card doesn't work. I, I mean, I agree. I agree with this. Maybe we should separate the perks from the kind of weird 
cult-like philosophy that this company were putting in, in into that. Because I think a lot of the perks was just because it was a competitive market and it was expensive to hire people, expensive to lose people. So making people feel comfortable uh, was a calculation that they were doing and saying, okay, well, let's just make these places great to work. It turned in many places into something. I never was comfortable with a family talk because I always thought, I don't think that's healthy. You know, I think those were two well, let me different ask you, things. Wait, helpful to whom or for whom? I don't know. One or the other. I think a lot of the perks that people were putting into offices weren't cynical. I think they were just, you know, wow, these people are in high demand. Like, you know, you treat basketball players really well. <laughs> you know, I don't know. So I think there was a little bit of that, right? Well, no, I meant I meant the family thing because the the, the, oh. the yeah, I like that the, line from the video, Brian. Who started the confusion between hiring and adoption? Yeah, yes. let's let's get into the video because, like, I think that yes. video exposes to me the sort of downside of the optimism talk. Trey, you, you shared with us like a video on the last great social network and the home and the home of the, of Optimus, which is LinkedIn. Right. That's true. It was an interview between someone outside of the camera and a woman who had just been laid off from a big tech company. And it was really, really good. You want to play a clip? We celebrated the company tripling its revenue in a year. What happened a month later? We are so poor. Who robbed us? But while it lasted, the company was a huge part of my life, huh? Huge. Other than my government ID proofs, company name is everywhere. T-shirt, bag, water bottle, pen, notebook, cap, coffee mug, mask, weekends, everywhere. Company name. It is uh, easier, it was easier to forget my ex than it is to forget this company now. Mm -hmm. Next job, I'm going to bluntly say no to any company merchandise. Only package, no baggage. That's a great line. That's a great line. Troy, you made a lot of merch in your day, but we we had a no landfill rule, right? We didn't want things that would end up in landfill, like trying to make things that people want to wear. I am still using, what do they call those little shaving kit bags that's like made out of like tires Rubber? or something? Yeah, yeah, Rubber. Yeah, Recyclable, yeah. From yeah. Say Media. It's still in use. You don't seem to be worried about your career. You seem really calm. I am calm because I am a techie. And techies are calm because they know they will always have calm, calm as in work. So it's like you can, you fire the cook from the restaurant. No problem. The cook can fire her kitchen, her cloud kitchen anywhere now. Techies are cooks. We are fragile. As long as there are apps and appetite, cooks and techies will have calm. We are the calm. So you're not worried about chat GPT taking your job then? You have to stop saying this. You sound like that guy when the calculators were invented. Oh, calculators are here. They're going to steal jobs. Whose jobs? Those guys who can only add and subtract. Oh, even if ChatGPT can take away our jobs, it'll have to get in line behind geopolitics and pandemic and investors and shareholders. I lost my job because the investors of the company were not sure their investment will become 400x in the coming year. Mm, how will we go to Mars? Someone else lost job because the investors thought Hmm. If the other company can lay off 12k people and still work as usual, shouldn't we also try? Artificial intelligence can never overtake human paranoia and human curiosity. That's incredible and optimistic. Then the next line is the is the money line. Yeah, I can only do what human beings have been doing. Only humans can do what no human has ever done before. Have 24,000 people been laid off in a year ever before? Don't blame technology. Yesterday's postman is today's delivery executive. Yesterday's sysadmin is today's cloud engineer. ChatGPT is not eating into our jobs. ChatGPT has already made a meal out of my four-year engineering course. Universities will have to do a course correction now, pun intended. 
What is there to be taught after all memorizing has been outsourced to the robot? Creativity and how to use chat GPT. This is great. Great. Yeah. But I think it also it, it taps into the what is optimism going forward, right? Because I think optimism in the meme around like that's a zero interest rate phenomenon, like there was so much stuff that happened during the last few years, but even really going back the last decade, that was really a result of, you know, an era of easy money. And a lot of the growth that was happening was artificial at the end of the day. And I was reading something in the FT the other day about preparing us for the long grind ahead because nobody does the opposite of optimism, whatever it is, whether it's realism, pessimism, or cynicism like Brits in winter. And so I think what we're going to see is like a reorientation of what optimism means. Because let's just talk about like, how can you as like a leader portray optimism, particularly at a time of difficulty? We see a lot of the CEOs with their memos when they're cutting all of these jobs that are, it's almost an impossible task. Like I, I was reading the Spotify guy, uh, Daniel X one, and he's like, of course, he's striking the optimistic tone and talking about how this is an opportunity for him to get back to like working on the product and stuff. It's like, wh what about all the people you just like shit can? I mean, not the time for your optimism. So I think it's a hard balance going forward. And I think a lot of the optimism playbook is going to have to be rewritten for a different time. Well, struggling with that and wanting to use technology in a productive way and struggling with the overall concept of this episode, I went to ChatGPT. Oh, and, God. And I know that this is the most, as well, is. This is already or, hackneyed. It's so bad. Yeah. When, when, when look, I'm going to write a paragraph of my piece from ChatGPT. Look, it's indistinguishable from what I would have otherwise written. Having said all that, I did ask ChatGPT what the qualities of an optimistic person were. And I was pleasantly surprised with the results. We had a long conversation about optimism and its opposite and blah, blah, blah. But here's, here's where it gets good. So there's a few in here I think you'll like. Positive outlook, duh. Resilience. That's a good one. Right. I love Being resilience. resilient. Confidence. I think that's kind of uh, obvious. Flexibility is a key characteristic of, of optimistic people. Gratitude. That was a nice unexpected little ad by ChatGPT. Mm. Thank you very much. Uh, an active approach, which is kind of a bias towards doing things as opposed to cogitating or waiting or expecting something good to come yeah. your way. And the last one that really surprised me was empathy. So these were contributions from the friendly robot over at OpenAI, and uh, I thought pretty good. Yeah, no, those, those are tremendous. They sound like great qualities. Here's my issue. It's not with optimism, it's with optimists. Okay, and I think that there's actually a difference because... Optimism itself is wonderful, but people who proclaim themselves optimists, they're usually trying to sell you something because they're a lot of times, and not all optimists, hashtag, they're actually bullshitters who are using optimism. And we see this all, all the time. And to me, bullshitters go on a continuum between marketers and con men, uh, excuse me, con artists, because there's a lot of them out there. You know, the most harmless are, are marketers, but the most pernicious are the con artists. And we've seen, like, would you describe Adam Newman as an optimist? For sure. Okay. Elizabeth Holmes. Mm, there's something darker in there. Sam Bankman-Fried? Mm, probably an optimist, yeah. Yeah, he was saying effective altruism is like a complete optimistic thing. The problem that I have is that it's cover. Are there any great men or women that are not optimistic? Optimistic? Yes, but it, like self-proclaimed optimists, 
I would say Isn't yes. it always about intent though? Optimism is a very powerful feeling. And if you get other people to be optimistic, they will follow you. So it's great for con men, but it's also great for designing the future, right? Like I've worked for people in my life that were really optimistic, sometimes unreal, unrealistically so, but that's what drove us to do better work. Troy is one of them. Brian's one of them. But I think it's, it's something that feels that is potent. So, you know, people that want to trick you will use it, including advertisers, which I put in the same category as con men, essentially. It's just a legal yeah. version of it. <laughs> it's a continuum. It's a, it's the most harmless continuum. It's fine. Yes. Yeah. I, I actually think that I would separate the people you meet in organizations not as optimists and pessimists. I find that there are optimists and pragmatists or realists that we yeah. cast, that optimists casts, cast at the worst of times as pessimists because they tell the optimist that what they're trying to do in the time frame they're trying to do it can't be done. Yeah. And but I you think need, you need and both. those people, I always found that I needed those people because I, I could wreck places with my optimism. Yeah. So like WeWork, for instance, I was at WeWork yesterday. It was kind of empty, but I love WeWork. I was at one, our last podcast in, in Miami. It's like it, the guy made something amazing. Shared offices have existed before and stuff, but WeWork has filled a real need. What he needed was not another optimist with Masa. What he needed was a realist and he didn't get that. And so I feel like a lot of times we almost overrate the role of optimist because an optimist without someone to call bullshit on their bullshit because optimists do sometimes bullshit because they make up things that are not reality. They end up getting in trouble. Yeah, but so do, I mean, I think it's a problem with the definition, right? So do pessimists in a different way. You know, I've been in meetings with people who are just like there trying to find the thing wrong with something. But I think you were right calling them pragmatists. I think you want everyone to be a pragmatist so that you can have optimism kind of defined, right? What it, what it means. Yeah, but I think being a pragmatist is you can, you're actually being optimistic, like through pragmatism. Because like, if you're just blindly optimistic and you're setting, let's say, forecasts or goals, because I've seen this like up close, you set forecasts or goals that are so out of whack and privately, you know that you're not going to reach them. But outwardly, you're just you're just putting on the cloak of optimism. Here's the thing, and that's Brian. my problem. Nobody nobody comes third in a race thinking that they're not going to win. So even if you want to get, even if you want to just participate in the race, it's hundred meter hurdles, and you see a line of dudes there. You know that Denmark's not going to win it, but that guy thinks he might. And I think you need kind of that optimism to push you to even getting fourth, fifth, or sixth. Does that make sense? Mm -hmm. Yeah, yeah. I want to try to untangle something maybe that's connected to that. In some of the kind of hustle porn stuff on LinkedIn, I, someone had posted a video yesterday, a classic Steve Jobs clip, where he talked about organizations as being value systems, or, or, or they're about values, and that they were, he was about to launch the new creative for the kind of rebirth of the brand and it was the think different creative and you know it was the outsiders the people that think differently the people that challenge convention and it was all you know it was muhammad ali and einstein and all that stuff. and he was clearly one of those wild kind of impractical visionary optimist people that created hugely aspirational goals for an organization and a group of people under it doing things that people never thought possible 
And I wonder, what would the value system be of a company that was led by an optimist versus led by a pragmatist? So the whole idea of that campaign was the people that break rules, the people that think differently, the people that set higher goals for themselves and for others. Are the those dreamers. optimists? The dreamers. It's, it's a marketing campaign. It's not, it's, I mean, it is, of course, but it's meant to be a reflection of the aspirations of a company and a group of people. But the Braveheart speech is a marketing campaign, right? That's like yeah. how you motivate, but you motivate people to do something that you believe in, right? It could be buying ice cream. In this case, I think Steve Jobs was trying to set a different tone for the company and it was influential. Yeah. I guess I just don't know how you are a entrepreneur or a CEO or someone that wants to affect great change without being even naively optimistic. Oh, I think so. Just to be clear, I'm not arguing against optimism at all. Like, I think that like optimism and having a positive outlook on like what could happen while understanding the downsides and the difficulties is the most powerful and essential thing, no matter what you're doing. And it's like proven time and again, like the outcomes for cancer patients are far better. And one of the biggest like influences on that is having a positive outlook without a doubt. If you go into cancer being like, this is it, like there's a better chance. And it's like proven out, right? And so, yeah, I don't doubt that at all. I think the difficulty ends up being is particularly when you're leading an organization, there can sometimes be a disconnect what I've noticed with self-proclaimed optimists and the people who are doing the work because a lot of how they're expressing their optimism is in my view bullshit. It doesn't actually correspond to reality. And Yes, you have to imagine the future. And anyone go, who goes to Steve Jobs, I sort of tune out a little bit, to be honest with you, because the guy was a psychopath. There's a generation of people who have lionized him and have not like taken like the cautionary tales of the fact that he was a psychopath. And so I don't think many people are going to become Steve Jobs. It's like, it's just not a reality. But yeah, like I recognize like optimism. I think the, the part that I don't like about it is that it's, it's often used as cover for things like toxic positivity and hypocrisy. I'm trying to figure out. You see, where I would disagree with that is I think that that a kind of blind optimism that we are going to go to Mars or we're going to land a rocket or whatever or change the automotive industry, those are just three sort of Muskian examples or, or people that we're going to fundamentally reshape the PC industry or whatever the vision is. Change, for example, Alex's friend Brian, I always found this remarkable that on some level, you could read the investor presentation for Airbnb and think, well, we already have a booking engine for cottages, like for like weekend getaways. But Aaron, but like Brian and team dared to kind of look at it so broadly and so ambitiously that it was about fundamentally changing the supply and the demand side of something to create a new category. And I, and I just have always, and I, I, I quite frankly, I don't think I'm one of these people that can literally believe in a vision so profoundly and deeply and passionately that they they create a space where other people do things that they they didn't think they could do and they start to fill it in in ways that are really unexpected and yes along the way there's carnage right there's people that can't can't keep up with it or there may be w wild decisions that have real you know second order consequences you hired too many people or you made the wrong bet in the pursuit of that vision and it really had human cost. But no, but the, 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 there is a type of person and I'd, I'd love to hear yeah. from Alex on this before you attack me on it, Brian. 
I'll, okay, that, I'll wait on my attack. But, but like that do this crazy thing that's just kind of blind faith. Yeah, great man theory. It's not a great. Yeah, it is. I think it's different when you're when you're looking at it from the outside. Brian is definitely definitely somebody that's that you could define as optimistic and resilient. And I think it's 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 that that allows him to kind of push forward like this. And as somebody who's worked for somebody like that, it creates a space where you're like, I don't know, you can see into the future just a little bit further, and you wanna and you push yourself a little bit more to think about things differently. And I can tell you it's very different to work for somebody like that than for a CEO that's a pragmatist, that looks at the data, that understands the realities of working in this world. And then I think you can't have as much impact. That doesn't mean that there isn't a huge cost to people like that failing, right? I mean, I'm sure there's a lot of people who are optimistic and resilient who didn't manage yeah. to find a product market fit. So let me ask you this on the product side. So how do you translate that though into like the product? Because a lot of this is like, it's messaging, right? It's it's words versus deeds, and so like where it translates into the product, I think is is interesting, right? Because like Airbnb is like gotten a lot of shit for the cleaning fees, for example, right? I wonder like how do you view optimism like within products? Because Apple, for instance, yes, the marketing is still about the optimists, the crazy ones, and whatever and stuff like this. Apple is also, in my view, a deeply cynical company right now. If you look at what they're, how they're approaching, I didn't really like how the IAB guy, like, you know, framed it, but like Apple is taking a very cynical approach to, to quote unquote protecting privacy. So I'm just interested in how that kind of optimism, particularly when these companies scale, gets translated to the product level from the outside. Yeah. No, no, no company is perfect and not everything works, but. I think optimism, uh, when, when I worked at Airbnb, Airbnb at least was baked into the process. I don't know if you've ever heard Brian, Brian Chesky's 11 star or 10 star experience idea. And we use that all the time. We were thinking of a new feature and we say, okay, well, let's think about what the five star experience is. You know, what is the kind of our model of what we'd be proud to launch? And then we would go, okay, what's the six star, seven star, eight star, nine star, 10 star experience? And you would go completely out there. Right. And it would create, you know, imagine you walked in and, and you had food on the table and it was your favorite meal and whatever, right? It, uh, unrealistic things. But what allowed us to create was a place to kind of think about things a little bit unconstrained so that we could go back and the five star experience would feel possible. Does it make sense? Because if you start there, you might end up at a four star experience. And I think that type of stuff can really work. I would recommend it. But, but I think it can be abused by people who are very good at it, but have ill intention. And I also think that it can be a disaster by people who think they have the capabilities and, and can't, can't pull it off, right? And so I don't know what the WeWork guy or what FTX guy ended up being. I don't know if, if there was intent behind that or they were so optimistic they built a world around them that started collapsing and then, you know, they kind of scrambled out of it. But I think it can be, it's, it's a very powerful type of energy in the company. Oh, I have no doubt. I, I, as I was saying, like, I think it's just cover that's used by people who are actually very cynical. I think there are a lot of people who are masquerading as optimists. Not a lot, but I, I mean, I, some. I don't know, man. Really. My, all my, all my less optimistic friends say, like, you're not optimist. You're just cynical. And I'm really? like, no, I'm truly optimistic. optimistic. <laughs> it's just like, I'm generally a happy guy. I mean, I don't sound like it all the time, but I am. Well, I believe it's, you're optimistic. Oh, thank you. But maybe that's why, you know, product people and the founders and journalists, journalists is, are more pragmatic because that's what the role requires, right? Oh, for sure. 
Yeah. And also, I mean, I'm going to say, I think the problem is, oh, yeah. it's maybe not pessimism, but it's negativism, if that's a word. Oh, for sure. Right. And negativism sells and media is full of it, right? Yeah. yeah. I think that is the flaw of media. It's actually the hardest part of, you know, I think the, I don't know if it's a trend or something, but like anything of like journalists, like going off on their own and creating their own businesses, the hardest part is a core feature of the job is being skeptical to the point of being negative. And I think where, where the, the news industry in particular struggles is with this because, you know, some of it is just, it's just structural to some degree. I mean, you're, you're literally taught if you make the mistake of going to journalism school, you know, your mother tells you, you love you better check it out. You know, I mean, that's like the <laughs> ha ha first lesson. Now, if that's what's taught to you from day one, that has like an impact and it, and ends up working for you in your profession because people are constantly lying to you and bullshitting you and trying to use you for other purposes. But it really works against you when you sometimes when you step out into into other roles. I don't think there's one way to do anything in life, but it's it's definitely a challenge from the typical, you know, overly to my view, like over optimistic view that is often associated with the quote-unquote entrepreneurial class. Hmm. Anyway, that was my statement. Troy, what do you think? I mean, does does media need more optimism right now? I mean, because like, you know, there's, you know, all these layoffs and stuff like this, and, and there is a perpetual feeling, I feel like, of negativism, if not pessimism and cynicism about the prospects of the media. It, it, it would benefit from a dose of optimism, but I'm not worried about it. And I'm not worried about it because the magnetic pull of media is ever present. Somebody always wants to make content for somebody else. Somebody always wants the influence of being behind a media entity. There's a, there's always going to be incentives for people to make things that are viewed and shared and read and appreciated by others. So, so media, and there's a lot of great case while there is tremendous, you know, difficulty in parts of, you know, across the media spectrum. There's amazing examples where one ought to be incredibly positive about it. It's how it's empowered unlikely individuals to do incredible things. Like, what's the name of that woman in Missouri, Jenny Doan, that started the Missouri Star Quilt Company, right, on YouTube just kind of before the pandemic? She has 40 million in revenue and like 850,000 followers on, on YouTube. And it's this, this incredible case study or people like the Gaines is in an unlikely town and wherever they are, where are they in Alabama or something that have created, you know, a massive, massive media empire on the back of their view of lifestyle. So there's, you know, there's all kinds of people that are doing incredible things in media. Um, and, and no, there's never a shortage of someone who, who wants to step up and try it again. So the example we shared earlier, Brian, was mm -hmm. this company this week called the News Movement. And so what is the news movement? It's a company that does, you know, kind of Gen Z led vertical video for, I presume, TikTok reels, YouTube shorts. It's, I think it's their office is somewhere in Europe. Maybe it's in London. They bought the remnants of John Battelle's company, the recount. And they are, they're taking a swing at somebody, something that people, whether it was, you know, now this news or, you know, others, what was the name of that company that sold actually seemingly to Candle for like, I think a hundred million dollars out of Los Angeles 
that do, that did the kind of positivity video thing. Oh God, what's the name? Is of that, that attention? Thing? Yeah, ATTN. Yes, attention. Yeah. yeah. So it it's another swing at you know making news content for a new generation on the their preferred platforms. And someone's going to run at it. And it's, you know, you laugh a little bit, Brian, because no, I'm laughing because you know, I, I wanted, I wanted to pivot. I, I see what you're doing here because like I've painted you as like the, the grumpy guy. And now you're trying to paint me as the pessimist. I get it. This is good. But even that's a cynical view, Brian. You've just proven a point. <laughs> see, it's like, when I, I don't have to Troy grieve grumpy. He hey, can't be grumpy. Breaking news, Brian. I don't have to do it. You do it. And the audience recognizes it. Yeah, touche. Same about the grumpiness. But yeah, I don't know where this grumpiness thing comes from. Like, I'm like a soft, cuddly, center-leaning, you know, Center Canadian. Center-leaning? What is that? <laughs> By the way, on, 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 you know, there's a lot of reasons that you can look around in media and other places, and I hate to take the moderator role here, which I'm not trying to do. But a couple things did hit my my feed. Like this one, this one. I wonder what you guys thought of this. In, you know, one of the great, uh, bastions of progressive drug policy in the world, British Columbia, Canada. They've now, as of today have, or yesterday, started experiment. They're, they basically have new thinking on incarceration, where they have a three-year decriminalization trial that began today, yesterday. The first region in the country to change the way it polices people use hard drugs. So if they get, if they catch you with two and a half grams of cocaine or opioids or meta. Uh, or, or meth rather, you're not, you can keep it and you're not going to jail. Okay. And it's just yeah. never, it's never been done. So is that optimism, that sounds just like, is it weird, optimism? I don't know. I, public policy. <laughs> well, I actually don't think it's weird. I think it's a great step forward. And as an optimist, I would say it's about time that we okay. started not throwing people in jail for having cocaine in their pocket. Now okay. that isn't to say, by the way, that they won't go after people that are trafficking drugs, but. You know, it's, and then plus it's, it's an experiment. Even yeah. optimism, Brian, I got another one for you. What about this? I want to hear your reaction to this one. <laughs> what I about the circle back on that? Okay. The rebranding, of, the rebranding of Jesus. <laughs> oh, like that he's like your friend. And like I've seen some of those. He gets us. Football. He gets yeah, he us. Does get us. Yeah. I get a lot of those ads on Twitter now. So Jesus now gets us. He's trying to heal. That which divides the right and the left. Is that optimism? Yeah. Uh, so I would say this as someone who, who went to Catholic school for many, many years. I mean, Jesus was an optimist, but he was like very much a realist, right? And the, the, the optimism that Jesus practiced is very different than the kind of like optimism that I end up like sort of being turned off from because a lot of the optimism that I get turned off from is, is the blind optimism that like it literally doesn't correspond to like, reality to some degree and like usually it's used that anyone who objects with like uh by the way the sky is blue and stuff like this or maybe we just like have a hypothesis and we test it out like your drug policy i'm like yeah sure why don't we test it out but the problem is like it becomes ideological and like people just aren't like open-minded enough so i yeah i mean i agree i'm like always conflicted on like optimism probably just based on profession your take seems to often be yeah it's great but people are gonna fuck it up what, with what i mean with with anything with optimism no, carry on with, carry on whatever. alex keep 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 uh, up the healthy sort of questioning of brian i'm not putting you as a stand-in for all of media but oh, you know okay. this jesus is great it was misused by people Fine. Entrepreneurs are great, but you know, they end up screwing over people because humans cannot be trusted. Is there like maybe a little pessimism around like people are going to step in and mess it all up? 
optimism? Like, is there a distrust? Is this about like, you know, if your mom tells you she loves you, you should, you should ask again? Because it's not cynicism, it's distrust. No, right? thank you, thank you. It is not right. cynicism. That's where right. I, I find that pejorative and unhelpful. Uh, right, right. Cynicism um, is, is empty. Yes, I completely, I will cop to that and I will agree to, to that. I'm remi- I would always like uh, go back to, to what Joseph Stalin once said. At Yalta, Churchill said that the agreement over like Poland, like not being under anyone's control had to be as, as pure as like Caesar's wife and like <laughs> Stalin. <laughs> And Stalin said, okay, but I've heard she's not without her own sins. <laughs> <laughs> but, but I wonder, I wonder if that's something, there's something interesting there, uh, around trust and optimism. Because even when, when we were talking about generationally, you know, most, most generations look at the next generation as kind of a disaster. And I think it's about distrust, distrust between age groups, between people. And when you can't trust that people are going to be yeah. good, then you can't be optimistic. Yes, I would agree with that. And I would also say, like, that's where I found the fine line with management, leadership, whatever you want to call it, like, with optimism. In that credibility and trust is incredibly important. And to me, like, you have to optimize to something and I always wanted to and want to optimize the credibility and trust. And to me, like you lose credibility and trust when you bullshit people. And like, I think I I celebrate optimism, whatever, but not blindly. And I think a real flaw of an overly optimistic leadership strategy or, or approach is that you lose credibility with the people in the cubicles at the end of the day. As you know, Troy, I like to be a tribune of the people on this podcast. Mm -hmm. The view from the cubicle. That's going to be my spinoff podcast. You can have the good product. I'll have the view from the cubicle. The problem right now is that it's all open plan offices and nobody can get work done, which is why... We're going back to cubicles. I think that's... Just like LinkedIn has emerged as the last great social platform and the only great social platform, so too does all this return to office stuff. We're just going to end up like compromising on a cubicle. Yeah, we're all going to be wa- looking at LinkedIn while sitting in our offices. Looking in, at our our <laughs> in our cubicles. It's going to be amazing. You know, the one thing I'm not super optimistic about is home affordability. So I think that's kind of a drag because I think having a home is kind of important to young people and to people broadly. It was certainly my strategy from when I was a young person. And it's really, really hard to buy uh, real estate, in particular the compounding effect of high price house values combined with interest rates and pushing up value of rentals and making just like having a decent place hard. So I'm kind of not super positive about that. The The other one is, it, it, I wonder if we're optimistic about Twitter. I, I, I thought we'd have to get to that at some point because... Oh, God. No, oh, yeah. No, just okay. it, it's, right. it's, it's, it's interesting. It's interesting. So, so Musk wants to have people send money to each other. Use there's a couple hundred million accounts, right? So, if I could yeah. use that to send money to people, you know, whether it was fiat or crypto or whatever, and I tied my savings or my my debit card to my uh, to to my Twitter account, is that going to help Twitter be something new? Is that a smart, optimistic move? Would it solve something that you currently can't do? Would it yeah. give you a solution? I mean, that's the that's the issue to me. Fine, but I can Trey, do if it you want to send me 50 bucks, and I encourage you to send me 50 bucks, like, you can send it to me through PayPal. I already you did because I lost that bet with you. Venmo, you could do it through Zelle. You could give me, like, two Not 20s Zelle. and a 10. Remember that, like, Saturday Night Live change commercial? <laughs> right, but I'm already on Twitter, and I maybe I know you, maybe I only barely know you, and I can li- literally send you a message and add money to it, or I could I can donate money to a account that I 
want to support. It's there. People are logging on all the time. It's a matter of can you remove the friction enough that it's more convenient than logging on to a separate application? I don't know. I think that 90% of the people you're going to be sending money to is in some form of text message, Apple Pay, or they already have Venmo, or, you know, speaking about an optimist, this is not a Mars mission, right? This is like, I don't know if you get the best people in the world to come and work for you and say, yeah, we'll build another wallet and transfer system that already exists. So for me, I think when you can get people excited about a vision, that's when you can get great people. And I don't know if this is an exciting vision. You might do it, might make some money, you know? Is it going to be worth $44 billion? I don't think so. What do you think, Trey? I think it comes down to a really beautifully crafted experience and maybe creating essentially some incentives in the form of things that you can do with your money on Twitter that you couldn't do elsewhere that's going to get you into the mode of using it to transfer money from one place to another. So I, I, I don't think it's impossible. I think you might have said, like, why do I need to use Zelle when I could write you a check? Or there's always shifts in behavior that surprise you. So I, I, I'm not sure. I think if you I said... I mean, I don't see the friction. I actually don't see the friction. Yeah, checks suck. It, checks suck. Like, a Apple Pay already does it. I already swiped my phone. Why don't we... I, I, I used to, when, I, when that feature came out, I used to send dollars to my friends all the time by text because I thought it was funny. And, and, but I never used that. I can do that on, on an Apple right now, right? I could send you... I'll send you five bucks right now yeah, by you text. Can. The idea of like... And we always fall into this trap the optimism of thinking that things that like work in particular Asian markets will work particularly in the US market or also just like US and Europe and okay well like, I don't think I don't think super apps I don't think the super app model is going to work here and I don't like just because it exists in China it does for like a bunch of different reasons and let's be very clear neither apple nor any of nor google let's say are particularly incentivized to love the super app model because they want their OS to be the super app, you know? So I don't, I don't know if this is going anywhere and I don't, and also like at this stage, like the amount of trust, we're speaking about trust again, that you need to put into, you know, Elon Musk's Twitter to put your money in there. I don't know. They got a way, they got ways to go. Apple is flawed, but I trust it with my money. Right. So you know? related to that, there's another announcement this week that I have not had the opportunity to try out, which is the artifact launch from Systrom, the founder and creator of Instagram. Have you guys read about that or should we yeah. should we talk about it? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, I shared that with you. Oh, you did. It's a but my understanding is it's a way of navigating and discovering text based content with mm -hmm. a kind of TikTok vibe. So you can swipe, 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 you can find things that are interested, then it'll then it'll sort of cross sell other content to you using an algorithm. Yeah. Yeah. So this is actually good because I'll just like jump in real quick before we get to the thing. Cause like when that came out, I saw like one of the media operator types. It's like, ever work. It's like, I'm like, what? <laughs> like, I would have, like, I mean, this is the sort of like the opposite of optimism, just like the reflexive dismissal of, of things. I think that is something that. That's why I was bringing it up. Like, why not? Like, I mean, let's just give it a try. Like, this is fine. I'm interested to see it. I don't have an opinion of it until I've experienced the product, though, because I can see a need for that. There's a clear need to un to figure out like new formats for delivery of news that we just haven't gotten yet. Yes, the track record is not great, but there's a need. The track yeah. record is horrible, to be clear. 
Yeah, yeah it's like micropayments. Do I assume someone at some point is going to figure out a way that we're going to have a sustainable method of buying individual pieces of content? Yes. Right. Have like a hundred people tried and failed? Yes. So you definitely have to be an optimist. The economics <laughs> of it are really challenging as Flipboard discovered. Yeah. Yeah. And I also don't know if culturally this is how people consume that type of content because, you know, they hop around, they, they read parts of it. You know, it's not like downloading a movie or, or paying for a TV show. So I think, yeah. I think there needs to be a cultural shift as well. It's not just a technology solution. I'm excited about somebody trying something. I mean, as you know, we've been working in that space for a while and we've tried lots of different ways to get this to work. I think one of the things that might, might slow them down is because of that history of having made Instagram, people are going to gauge the success of this thing compared to Instagram numbers. And maybe it doesn't need to reach that scale. You know, does that make sense? Yeah. But like, I mean, does that matter? Well, I think it matters. I think it matters to see, you know, like what the story is that gets created around it. You know, how people talk about a product as being successful mm. or not, you know? But um, wouldn't that be debilitating? I mean, like talk about good problems to have, but like, you you started Instagram and stuff like this, and like literally, your chances of creating anything at the scale of Instagram again yeah. are like pretty much impossible. So if you're just not gonna, I mean, look, one option is just do the VC route or whatever, and you know, do that because you're never gonna create something as big. But I kind of appreciate people who go back and take another swing at something, and even if it has like a much higher you know, less likelihood of being a breakout success, you know, continue to do that. I think that's kind of cool. I'm trying to, I'm trying to claw back some optimism. Yeah. And I think it's like the, uh, the old rocker problem. You can go watch a, a band that used to be, you know, selling out 60,000 seat concerts, right? And you see them at a bar, right? 20 years later. And sometimes you'll see them just loving it and sometimes you'll see bands that just look defeated yeah, it's sad. and the it's people cool. who love it the people who love it are usually the people who just love making music and if these guys really love making shit then they'll be fine yeah that's why yeah. I, like I never that. wanted to i never wanted to be the aging person at old rock star shows i'm going to one now i just got invited to pasadena Trey, to you're like see. the quintessential no i'm not i'm not <laughs> i want to go see what the kids are listening to I'm going to Pasadena that's to see worse. Modern English, Iggy Pop, Adam wait, and the you, Ants. Wait, you give oh, me cool. shit Susie for not dressing. You give me shit for not dressing age appropriate, and you're going to like Gen Z like shows. Sure, man. What I don't get, I don't get this whole thing of like you're only meant to enjoy what's what's there for your generation. It's it sucks, man. I think culture is way too interesting to not participate in it. I actually take that back because I agree. Because one of the things I like about Europe and actually New York City to a degree is like you have like bars and restaurants with like all generations involved. Like you yeah. go to like Madrid or something like this, you're at like dinner at like 10 p.m. And like there's everyone from like 85 year olds to like 10 year old kids eating weirdly late and stuff like this, where I feel like a lot of times I think it might be a particularly American thing to sort of like pigeonhole things a little bit like based on like generation. We were mm. all young. We were all going to be old. Let's just, you know, enjoy this time. I, uh, I think it's great. Do you want to speak yeah. about anything that's making you optimistic? We're, this episode went all over the place. Really? I thought it was good. No, no, I, no in a good way. Okay. <laughs> what I would like, I think there's two, th there's lots of reasons to be optimistic on, you know, from, health and climate tech and 
And, but give me uh, something non-obvious, Troy, that you're optimistic about. Don't, please don't be obvious. Like do something that like a lot of people are not optimistic about, but you are actually optimistic. About. I don't know. Solar powered reverse osmosis desalination. I'm optimistic about that. You know, the lakes are Why? drying up. 40% of the world lives you know, close to the coasts. Our ability to turn salt water into drinkable fresh water is an important thing that we've not been able to do because of the cost of energy. And I think it could change the world for the better. So, I mean, that's just one example. There's many of them. Climate tech in general, I think we're seeing a lot of, you know, solutions coming, coming out like, uh, I don't know whether this is a good thing or a bad thing, Alex, but there was a paper out of Harvard last week that shows they've made progress on identifying the causes of aging and the genetic me mechanics of that that has proven results in a study of mice that may change not you know might not extend wildly extend our lifespan but certainly make the years that we live here more pleasurable and help us live more vibrantly late in life i'm optimistic about that i'm optimistic about ai and how it can it's going to be extremely bumpy but how it can like open up new frontiers and how we live on this world and you know and what what people do with their time and how creative we can be i'm optimistic about that yeah i just but i, I think to wrap the episode and uh, brian you're 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 good at wait it. i don't get to weigh in uh, yeah i thought you can weigh it's in funny. and then what, what i think is funny is that you just go to tech like it's just tech i think it's funny in our time in that like everyone goes to tech because we i think we've talked about it in one of the early episodes like when we imagine the future like many of the advances that we have now versus like 19, whatever, 60, whenever the Jetsons, like have not been technological advances. A lot of the advances we've had have been societal advances and how we've, you know, viewed things differently and viewed like the equality of different people. Like, you know, we've recognized that, but we never imagined those kind of advances. We always just fall to technology. What, and it's just an interesting phenomenon. Just a note. Well, the most watched television show of the past week was a gay love story. Yeah, that would have been unheard of. I remember it was a big deal when 30 something had two dudes kiss on it in like the 80s. Like it was like a some kind of like weird scandal or something. Yeah, that progress has been happening for a while. I'm going to put one out that is a cultural. But that's why we always go to tech because tech, it seems like an advance that's quote unquote overnight. And we don't appreciate well, Brian, it's also what we that happen over time. It's also what we know about and what we talk about in in this podcast and he doesn't nothing, know about desalination and, and there's nothing to be there's nothing to be optimist <laughs> <laughs> i'm sorry I, my optimism is off with that we could reorder it it's it's natural for us to go towards tech and uh because we talk about tech and media on this podcast and there's nothing to be optimistic about media but if we want to talk about how we how things are changing i wonder i'm optimistic about the strongman phenomena you know kind of petering off a little bit, right? Yeah. Like strong men and the kind of hero worship. And I do think Elon was part of that. And I think the wars and, and I think that could be a good thing to happen because strong yeah. men are never good news. So Gen Z, very optimistic. I'm optimistic about them too. Uh, I'm optimistic about America. I think, uh, everyone always writes off like the United States, like, and, and very challenged and like more competition than ever. But the United States is actually incredibly well positioned right now in many different areas. And a lot of the, the, the places that were thought to be, you know, stronger 
China is going into demographic decline. Their chaotic exit from COVID, you know, has kind of proven that like a lot of the marketing that the CCP did was just that it was marketing. And if you look at what's going on in Europe and with the Chips Act and uh, the climate bill, the U.S. is going to outcompete Europe. It has already been outcompeting Europe. And and you look at the immigration figures, we're still attracting tons of people to this country. And the biggest battle is going to be, can you continue to grow your country? You're either going to be a super small country, or if you're going to out- operate in the big leagues, you're going to have to attract a lot of people. You see Germany changing their approach to immigration too late. Japan, it's, it's a cultural, like they've been in decline forever because they can't, they don't produce enough people and they don't have people who move there. I don't think China is going to become an immigration nation. So I'm very optimistic about the United States. That's well said. Can we switch to reverse osmosis desalination? <laughs> All right. On that note, we'll be back no, next week with the new. No, episode. no, no. What are you talking about? What, 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 we got to do good product. Oh, shit. It's time for good product. Troy, what kind of like uh, desalination product have you come across this week? Well, this one's a little more basic. And, and what, what I thought I would do is get you guys to guess what I picked this week as a good product. And I'll read a few of them. Alex, do I have your attention? You do have uh, okay. my attention. America. So checking LinkedIn. I'll give you a few uh, and then you can tell me what, what, I'm, what I've selected. America, I love you, but you are freaking me out. Dick Cheney shoots his friends. Are you following Jesus this closely? I'm so gay, I can't even drive straight. Bumper stickers that you saw? That's it, bumper stickers. And so here's the rationale. Like, here's, here's my, my rationale. So kind of all cars look the same now, right? They all look like some smashed up SUV thing. And which leaves us, I think, fewer cues to learn much about the owner in the car next to us, which is kind of fun to do if you're driving and you're bored. And I want to know more. And so I think that, that bumper stickers are kind of out of style, out of fashion. And I was driving on the, on the highway the other day and I was like, nobody's got bumper stickers anymore except for like dumb ones, like, you know, college stickers or maybe the odd sports team affiliation. And I love like stuff like imagine world peas or like, you know, gas, grass or ass. No one drives for free, you know. Even the dumb ones, I noticed one, I've got a perfect body, but it's in the trunk and beginning to smell. Uh, <laughs> you know, I even like the odd, my kid is an honor student at blank blank high school. Those are good. So I, I don't know. I, I, I kind of miss them. I, I, I saw one that said, I never thought I would miss Nixon, which I think was. <laughs> really well, funny. the political ones, you know, there's a lot of political ones still around. If you miss them in Northern California right now, uh, where I live, you'll see a lot of bumper stickers that, you know, proclaim love for every religion, save the planet, save the trees, save the orangutans, crystals. You have a lot uh, of those. Uh, Alex, as the resident European, this seems yeah. like an American, like bumper stickers seem like a, pu- like a pretty American product. Yeah, yes and no. I think, uh, Europe, I mean, first of all, in Europe, we used to have these like oval stickers that, yeah. Told everyone. My parents brought us from. back one from Belgium. Like they yeah. had it on their car in like suburban cool. Philadelphia. Those were cool. So, uh. Do you have a bumper yeah, I mean, sticker like in this. your car, uh, Alex? No, I only have one that lets me, uh, use the HOV lane because I ride an electric yeah. vehicle. Right. I'm not putting, I mean, Melissa, Melissa actually, my wife 
we uh, were stuck behind this car with a lot of bumper cars. And, and I wasn't saying anything. And she goes like, oh, you probably hate this. Because I was just like staring at all these badly designed logos and papyrus fonts. And, and so it was just a lot of uh, input for me. And my, uh, my ADHD was kicking in. But, you know, mm-hmm. I like it. Express yourself, man. Yeah. It's cool. All right. Well, I mean, I, I think that was probably a bit of a surprise. It's a good product. I hope you guys... Uh... Yeah, I, I would say this. I'd, I'd like the bumper stickers that express an element of like someone's personality that is is unusual. So those are the ones I like. I don't like the braggy ones or the ones that are trying to convey some sort of status thing, you know, like where they vacation or something like that. And I don't mean like Virginia's for lovers. I think we had that one as a kid. That was a classic bumper sticker, by the way, and a great marketing campaign. But I mean like, oh, we're going to make sure you know that we have the Martha's Vineyard like sticker. I just find that stuff. But maybe I'm just the pessimist. Well, if you think if the episode reveals anything, it may reveal that. (laughs) I don't think so, but we'll see. Thanks so much for listening. And please do remember to leave us a rating and review. Helps people find this podcast and share it with friends, family, loved ones, colleagues. We'll be back next week with a new episode. I thought that you're calling me out on (laughs) deselection is so funny. The way you said it too. I'm sorry. I tried not to because I'm sensitive to this idea that I bully Troy, which is the most ridiculous thing. He said it in such like a desolidation. <laughs> <laughs>